So friends, I wonder if you have ever known someone who had trouble calming down, whether that was a neighbor or a friend or a family member. We've had, these past several weeks, we've had someone in our household uh, who has had some trouble calming down, and I'm not quite sure what to do about that. We have a dog named Miles. Look, he just looks anxious, doesn't he? He looks like, what, what did I do? Well, I'll show you what he did in just a second. Um, he's a wonderful dog. He's great with the kids. We love him. He's seven years old. Um, but as he's gotten older, he has seemed to have developed more and more anxiety. We're not quite sure what that's about, but it seems to be tied to loud noises or disruptions or if somebody knocks on the door or the kids run down the hall, something like that, anything like that. Whenever that happens, um, especially if we're not home, the loud noises part, especially if we're not home, he goes around the house and he finds something to tear up. And uh, it might be books, it might be cardboard boxes, it might be something that came from Amazon, uh, it might be some of the kids' artwork. It's always different. It's always in a different part of the house. He tears it up and brings it throughout the house often, uh, almost as if he's like proud of it or something. Uh, A few weeks ago, we were gone the whole day. And uh, when we got home, it was dark at night. And uh, when we walked in, this was the scene that we saw in the hallway. This is some of his handiwork. Um, That was a, was it a crock pot? I think it was a crock pot that had come, yeah, and he tore off the styrofoam. He pulled it down off of that little children's table in the corner. He dragged it all throughout. I don't even know how he did that. But I thought about it, and it, it made sense because that, you see, this was homecoming day. And I don't know if you remember, but on that day, App State, and we live near the football field, App State won 52 to 7. Uh, there was a lot of noise happening that day, <laughs> and we were not home uh, to be with Miles when that was happening. And so, and like I said, we've noticed that he tends to only tear things up when he's home by himself. When we're home, and even if there are loud noises, he's still able to remain calm and not destroy anything. And so, presence can be a really powerfully calming influence. Today we're going to continue our sermon series on glimpses of Jesus with a focus today on Jesus' calming presence in the midst of terrifying circumstances we just heard about uh, from Pastor Laura. And so I invite you to hear this word now from Mark chapter 4 from the NRSV version. Hear this word from the Lord. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, to his disciples, let us go across to the other side and leaving the crowd behind, They took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up. And rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind And the sea obey him. 
Friends, this is the word of God for all God's people. Thanks be to God. So a little bit of context here for this story. We jump in kind of right in the middle of Jesus' ministry. And at this point, he had been traveling and preaching and healing and casting out demons. And he had been attracting big crowds. People had heard about what Jesus was doing and wanted to be a part of it and wanted to experience it. And so they were following him. Um, and he was attracting great big crowds. In fact, there were, there were so many people that Jesus had to teach from the boat just so that he could avoid. Listen to this. This is from chapter 3, the chapter before. Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him. Hearing all that, was, that he was doing, they came to him in great numbers from, and there's like 10 towns listed here, from all over the place. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd so that they would not crush him. For he had cured so many that had had diseases, and all of them, all the people had heard about this and pressed upon him to touch him. So he's got quite a crowd coming, and, and at this point, I wonder, this is a dated reference. Anybody remember those Calgon commercials? Calgon, take me away, right? I wonder if Jesus wasn't feeling maybe just a little bit like that. After, after having traveled and, and gone to town, to town, to town, um, healing the sick, casting out demons, uh, preaching the gospel, preaching the good news. I wonder if he maybe just didn't need a little bit of a, I mean, he had to get in a boat to avoid being crushed by the crowds. That's, that's something. And we read in this passage in verse 35 that evening had come. And so they decided to leave the crowd behind. They got in the boat, left the crowd behind. The disciples took him in the boat just as he was. No, no packing, no, like, let's bring some stuff with us. Let's, let's just get in the boat. Let's get out of here. Let's have a break. And Jesus goes to the back of the boat, and he falls asleep. Just exhausted, dead, tired. I, what a human response, right? I love when the Gospels give us glimpses of Jesus' humanity. In fact, we thought about calling this, this message glimpses of Jesus sleeping, but there's more important things to this story. And so a great storm comes. And here's how the disciples responded. A great windstorm arose. The, the, the waves beat into the boat. The boat was already being swamped. You can just imagine taking in water more and more. Each wave coming over the top. The disciples going, what in the world? And so they ran to him, woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? Don't you care? Jesus, don't you care? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever wanted to ask God, God, don't you see what's going on here? Don't you care? Have you ever experienced something so difficult or maybe so scary and wondered where in the world are you, God, in this? Well, you're not alone. Listen to this from the author of Psalm 44. Verses 23 through 26. I'll read the message translation. The psalmist says this, Get up, God. Are you going to sleep all day? Wake up. Don't you care what happens to us? Why do you bury your face in the pillow? Why pretend things are just fine with us? Get up and come to our rescue. If you love us so much, help us. How many of us feel comfortable talking to God like that? It seems a little almost irreverent, doesn't it? And yet, I, there it is. It's right in Scripture. 
Right there in the Bible. People asking God hard questions. Calling God to task. Don't you care? God, wake up. Do something if you really love us. It can be incredibly comforting to find words and prayers in Scripture that say things that we might not feel comfortable otherwise saying to God and having the courage to say it. You can just, you can just read it right out of the Bible and say, God, your word says this. <laughs> this is your word, not mine. But it can be a great comfort to borrow those words and those prayers in times of difficulty and in times where we're asking, God, where are you? And so here we get Jesus' response to the disciples' question. Don't you care? Verse 39, Jesus woke up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, peace, be still. Now, I want to point something out here. It's interesting how we read Scripture and assign voices and, 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 and speak them out. And I'm so grateful for the way that Laura did that with the, with the children's blessing and read that version of the of this story with them. Um, but how we read can really make a difference on how we interpret the story. I have a friend who is a pastor and was talking about the, the account in Genesis where after the fall, God seeks out Adam and Eve and says, where are you? And this man's a pastor. And, and the first time he heard somebody read it like that, where, where are you? He said it changed his whole life because he grew up in a church where every time that account was read, it wasn't read like that. It was God asking Adam and Eve, where are you? Angry because they had sinned and disobeyed God. And so his life, he said literally his life changed. It put him on a different track. He's a pastor now because he heard somebody read that just a little bit differently without that judgment and that anger and that wrath, but rather curiosity and almost a forlornness and a, and a sadness. Where, where are you? And so it matters how we read Scripture. And, and this is a great example. Uh, I am a, uh, so this story in the, in the King James Version is the one that I probably grew up hearing most from the King James Version. Um, it has Jesus saying, peace, be still, with like periods at the end, right? And it's, that's the Jesus, I'm, a, I'm like a non-conflict person, like I'm a peace person, and let's all get along. So like I love that image of Jesus, like standing up in the midst of the crazy chaos and just being like, peace, be still. That is a comforting image to me. Thing, um, those words, peace and be still, are actually, they're actually imperatives. There's a lot of force behind them. And, you, and when you look in the NRSV, there's, there's exclamation marks there, right? Other translations say it this way. The NIV says, quiet, be still. The Common English Bible says, silence. The message, quiet, settle down. And that's a little different than the way that we read it earlier, right? That, that Laura read it to the kids. And I think it's interesting to think about that and to think about that difference. And what does that mean? If Jesus actually stood up and yelled at the waves, knock it off. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> Jesus yells at the wind and sees, stop it. And they obey. But that's just the first of the rebukes that Jesus offers. Right? We continue reading, and we see that he's not done with rebuking. He says to the disciples, after rebuking the wind and the waves, he turns to them. He says, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Have you still no faith? He rebukes the disciples for not having 
faith. Now, why, I wonder, does he expect more out of them? It's fairly early on in his ministry, but let's, let's just back up a little bit. As I mentioned earlier in chapter 4, just before their boat trip, Jesus had been teaching many parables about what the kingdom of God is like. And we get the picture that the disciples didn't always quite grasp the parable because it says that they went to him and asked him about it privately afterwards. Hey, what's the deal with like throwing the seed and all that stuff? What's, what's, what's that? What's that you're talking about? How's this kingdom of God among us? And God explained it to them. He explained all of the parables. So they had a, a special session with Jesus to understand what these parables actually meant. And so he took time to do that and to say, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's coming. It's now. It's in your midst. I am here ushering in the kingdom right before your very eyes. And so Jesus expects that by now, maybe the disciples would have listened a little better or would have caught on that Jesus is who he said he is. Why are you afraid? Why do you have no faith? You see, in addition to that, prior to Jesus' teaching on the kingdom, he had cast out demons, he had healed the sick, he had healed the paralyzed, he had performed miracles. They'd seen all of this and heard all of this. And yet the disciples still didn't quite realize that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah sent to save the world. And so Jesus rebukes them. Why are you afraid? Why do you still have no faith? I wonder how often Jesus would like to say that to us. Why are you afraid? Why do you still have no faith? I, there are certainly plenty of things in this world to be afraid of if we allow fear to rule our hearts. And, and there are legitimate things out there that are, that are there that we are, have every right to be anxious about. Health and relationships and finances, just to name a few that I get anxious about, and I'm sure you do too. I scan the headlines or listen to any newscast, and you'll find a million more reasons to be afraid. And there are plenty of storms in this world. In fact, as we know uh, all too well, we've had some storms here at Boone UMC recently, haven't we? And I, I'll be honest, I, it, it makes me sad to look around and, and not see as many smiling faces as I used to see here in the sanctuary. It makes me anxious to see the budget shortfalls. Makes me nervous to wonder what will happen in May at, at General Conference uh, it, it, for the United Methodist Church in general and, and for us specifically, Boone United Methodist. And these are legitimate concerns and I know that many of you share these concerns with me. But I also need to tell you this. As I studied and prayed over this scripture this week, this is what I heard God say to me about those worries and fears. Quiet. Stop it. Be still. Jeff, do you still have no faith after all that you've seen me do? And that question hit me hard and it, and it caused me to reflect more 
on God's faithfulness in my life and in this church and community. And what I came to understand is that it's natural to feel anxious about those things. But here's what would be truly scary. If we looked around and didn't see Jesus here at work, that would be something to really be afraid of and to be worried about. But that is not the case here at Boone United Methodist. I look around and I see Jesus all over the place at Boone UMC. God's kingdom is breaking in all around us. And we've celebrated that several times recently throughout our stewardship campaign. And, and even more recently, this past Tuesday uh, at the charge conference and worship service that we had on Tuesday. Uh, on Tuesday night, we heard from nine different lay leaders about how God is at work in various ministries throughout the church, bringing help and healing and hope. And that was just a small sampling of the many ways that Jesus is present in this place. God's kingdom is coming here. God's spirit is moving and active here. And so how can we see that and experience that and know that and still have no faith? God asked me. Well, I, we can't, right? We can't. As we have eyes and ears for the spirit's work, it also increases our faith. As we notice God present in our midst, our faith grows stronger. Bunyu MC has been around for 153 years now. And, and the big C church, the, the church of Christ, the church of God is nearly 2,020 years old. And in all that time, God's church has weathered plenty of storms. Because God is bigger than politics and policies and attendance and giving. God in Christ is making all things new. God's spirit that, that hovered over the waters of creation is also present and active in whatever storms we face here today. God's spirit is always moving, always creating order from chaos and beauty from ashes and calm from calamity. I think Jesus is calling now. <laughs> Speak, Lord. Your servant hears. It's okay to be concerned about the storm. It's a natural human response. But if we focus too much on that, we might miss the ways that the Spirit is moving in the storm and inviting us to participate in God's work. We might miss an opportunity to increase our faith. Our faith increases as we let go of our desire to control the outcome. And that is really hard. Surely the disciples tried to bail out the water out of the boat, right? I mean, they were, some of them were fishermen. Like, they knew what to do in a storm. I'm sure they were prepared for that. They were trying to, I'm sure they tried to bail out the water. But despite their best efforts, they realized it just wasn't working on their own power. Oh, what needless pain we bear sometimes. We can't control the storms, and we can't just summon up more belief, right? We can't just be like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe harder. I'm going to believe more. It's, it's really hard to do that. It's not something we can control. In fact, sometimes uh, the only thing we can control is our surrender to God's control. 
That's the only thing we really have control of is our response to the storms that we are in. And the more that we surrender, the more fully God is able to involve us in kingdom work, in calming the storm, in bringing healing and light and hope. And the more our faith and our belief increase in that process. See, surrender leads to greater dependence on God's faithfulness. And God grows our faith in the process. Now, I have a confession to make that as a preacher, I want to control the outcome of my sermon, right? I, wanted, I, wanted, I work really hard to choose my words carefully to try to ensure that you hear exactly what I think is important, what, exactly what God told me to tell you about this text. And I struggle to just relax, <laughs> let go of that control, and trust that God's Spirit is going to speak to you in ways that you need to hear this morning. Not in the words that I choose, but in the word made flesh. And so I'm going to practice letting go of that control today and trusting that the Spirit has something to say to each of us. And I'm not going to wrap up the sermon nice and tidy with a challenge or, or a set of takeaways. Instead, I'm going uh, to ask Tracy Smith and, and Kathy Butler to come forward and, and lead us in a, in a moment of... Um, worshipful, prayerful uh, song in prayer. And uh, what I want for them to do is they're going to help to create a space for us to listen to what God might be saying to us through the Spirit today and, and to surrender to God's control over the storms, whatever the storms are that you're facing today. And so as they, uh, as they play this song, it, it's based on... Uh, it's based on the hymn, It Is Well, and you'll recognize some of that um, in the song as, as Tracy sings it. Uh, I invite you to, to sing with her if you want. I invite you to just listen if you want. Uh, maybe this will be a time for you to just, just reflect on the storms and God's presence in your life through them. And maybe it'll be a time where you remember God's presence and give God thanks. And so this will be a time of, of celebration and thanksgiving. Or maybe you're in the midst of a storm right now. And you're asking God, just like the disciples, don't you care what's happening here? Or like the psalmist, where are you, God? How long will it be like this? Wake up. Maybe that's what this time will be like for you. Maybe it'll just be a time of silence, simply waiting on what God's Spirit might say and listening. Maybe this will be a time when you ask the question the disciples asked, who is this Jesus? whom even the wind and waves obey. Maybe it's a time of letting go of control and asking for God's great faithfulness to take over and not your own power. Maybe it's a time of just simply resting and listening to others sing words of calming reassurance. And so I invite you to use this time to listen to what God is speaking to your heart in this moment. What is the Spirit trying to say to you? <laughs>